Rodrigo Rado once said, oil prices have certainly become a threat to the world economy. Keep this in mind as we discuss today the reasons of why global oil prices is increasing and what does it mean for your economy. My name is Dr. David Wallalu. And my name is Dr. Ross Stewart. And you are watching Geopolitics in Conflict. We'd like to thank you for viewing, we'd like to thank you for subscribing, and we'd like to encourage those of you who have not subscribed to subscribe. We are rapidly becoming 70 million subscribers. subscribers. Right. We're kind of far away from it right now, but if we're going to make the kind of impact with good information that we hope to make, we have to have a lot of subscribers. So please subscribe if you haven't already. Well, indeed, Ross. So we thank our uh, viewers already, the, the members, that be, uh, the subscribers. And also we want to thank our Patreon members for their continued support. And for you, we might want to, uh, we wanted to let you know about the membership now that we have that you need to check out as to what we offer in this membership. This is where we have uh, live presentations, live Q&A, where we can answer your questions whatever questions you have, and also where we don't have to worry about the censorship. So check it out on our geopoliticsinconflict.com. And thank you all for your support. Back to our topic. Well, historically, there's always been a connection or a link between petroleum and geopolitics. What's your take on that? Well, indeed, Russ, a lot of people do not know that there is a link between geopolitics and oil. <laughs> to some, you know, when you don't study, for example, global affairs, international uh, uh, security and so forth, yeah, yeah, you're not going to understand that one because to you, it might not, to an average person, it might not mean a thing. But uh, uh, historically speaking, and I'm going to provide, we're going to provide you here with a brief, brief uh, synopsis about how oil has become almost the tool in a foreign policy of especially the oil-producing countries. Oh, yeah. Well, since the production of oil, you know, way back, talking about a century or so, since the production, things have moved into countries realizing the impact and the power of having oil, you know. And this came very, very, of course, uh, became evident during World War II. Yes. Because if it weren't for oil, the United States would have, have not won World War II, but the most prevalent was in none other than 1973. Oh, was that important? Exactly, because of the Yom Kippur, the war with yeah. Israel and, and Egypt at the time, but also is the embargo that the OPEC members imposed on the United States. And we all, uh, you know, read through history. I'm sure you had a, a read somewhere or heard about what happened back in 1973 with the oil embargo. And since then, it became evident and clear how much the oil-producing countries can use a weapon, can use uh, oil as a weapon. And this is exactly what we are witnessing today. Not to that extent, but the increase in prices. And I am sure you have noticed this when you want to fill up your gas tank or your vehicle and so forth. Compared to a year and a half ago, $1.70 a gallon, 
today, $3 and 5 or 10 cents a gallon. Exactly. That's a big difference. It is. Well, there is the argument as to what led to that. And that's, this is what we're going to be discussing today. So for you to have an understanding that this it's not a random increase or whatever. Sometimes, uh, you know, the oil producing countries can manipulate or control the production so the prices can go up. And we're going to detail certain parts of the world, like in China, Europe, East Asia, India. And, and just to give you an idea of where do we see this is going. Well, there is the argument as to what's leading to this. You know, there are those who are saying, of course, supply and demand. It's one of the key factors. But only one of them. Yeah. <laughs> who's controlling it and who's influencing this uh, is perhaps the controlling element here. Exactly. Well, they are, they are the counter argument to that, Ross, uh, just for our viewers. So we present the two sides of the argument based on the research we conducted to find this information, mm -hmm. is that there are those who are saying, well, wait a minute, this is not just about supply and demand, but also about the pandemic restrictions oh, that yeah. have forced a global economy to kind of, I don't know if it would be fair to say shut down. At least slow down. Completely. Which means what? That slowdown didn't sort of compel countries to go ahead and import more oil or keep their reserves high. And this is exactly what happened in Europe, which we will get into that. So, so it becomes a question now that two years later, because I did found one stat, uh, Ross, and I would like to share it with our viewers, is that uh, for the oil, uh, for the oil production that was uh, in April 2020, uh, the barrel of oil was, didn't expect it to go to 80 today. Right. Is it past 80? It's about 82 dollars. Uh, uh, Brent crude oil is about 82. And there are some estimates that there is a possibility that a barrel of oil might surpass 90 dollars. Now, this is where you put the question on you know who? Just for you to know speculators. Oh, yeah. Because that is one of the reasons why sometimes those prices can fluctuate beyond. I know, I understand the, uh, the supply and demand argument, and it is a logic one, but speculators, energy speculators also can add fuel to the fire, shall we say. Well, what are we looking at in China, for example? Yeah, well, the idea in China, it has to do with the consumption. Of course, when China's economy recovered after the pandemic, right. that increase in consumption is gonna, uh, the, the consumption of energy has to increase. And that's exactly what happened. Well, in the case of China, because China uses a lot of coal. Right. You know, and this is where you run to the problem uh, that, uh, for example, the prices of oil, not only prices of oil, but also, pardon me, but also prices of gas, natural gas that mm -hmm. is, also increased. Well, in the case of China, China consumes a lot of coal. And what we see is the disruption with the coal supply from Australia. We also see that with the flooding in China, any number of their, their domestic coal mines went out of production based on floods. Yeah, and this is what put uh, sort of China on notice regarding the consumption of, oh, of, yeah. of, of natural gas and so forth. Uh, but this is where I disagree with what the Europeans are saying because they are putting the blame on China, <laughs> for which is to me is, is, is uh, illogical, doesn't make any sense. 
you know, and we will get into Europe for this. But for China, they are exp experiencing, like any other country around the world, that consumes uh, a high quantity of energy. In, in China's case, as we mentioned, I remember uh, one time that uh, the consumption uh, of oil in China is going to reach between 12 to 16 million barrels a day by 2030. That's not that far away. No, it's not. You're looking at about nine years from now, so that's, that's about it. So. Well, you know, we're seeing rolling blackouts and so on in China. Yeah. And they're desperately trying to find new coal reserves and other sources of energy. Exactly. And this is where, for example, if we are to pivot to Europe, this is where the issue is in Europe right now. Well, uh, why? Why is that? Besides the prices and so forth, winter is coming. What comes with winter? Cold weather, the need for more energy to keep your, your home, for example, warm. Exactly. And I found one stat, uh, Ross, if, uh, if uh, uh, I may share with you guys here just to know. Uh, for example, uh, now in Europe, natural gas, for example, is trading at about $230 per barrel in oil terms. That's, That's a lot expensive. of money. expensive. That's a lot of money. That is up more than 130% more than the beginning of September this year. And we will have a link for you at the bottom description so you know where we got this information from. So this is where the problems in Europe now, they are wondering, uh, is it unavailable to have the hike or spike in the energy bill? Most likely. Oh, count on it. Yeah. One of the estimates is that the average home in Germany, for example, mm -hmm. is the heating bill, uh, the power bill, is 100 euros a month. The prediction is it's going to be 400 by February this year. So you can just see what that's going to do to other aspects of a family, for example. And one of the other things is the amount of reserves they have mm -hmm. the, at the current rate, uh, they're going to run out in February. And February in Germany is cold. Yeah. You know, Vladimir Putin said, look, Nord Stream 2, you give us the word, we'll put 17.5 billion cubic meters per day into Germany. Wow. Wow. He just said that yesterday. Yeah, but this is for long-term contract. He wants a long-term contract. Yeah. And the German regulators have to say yes. They haven't said yes to it they yet. They haven't agreed yet. They haven't agreed. Because you're, uh, probably Europeans want a short-term, like uh, two years, three years, whatever. Right. I don't, I don't, personally, and this is my personal opinion, I don't see Russia agreeing to that. Yeah, Russia's gonna go long-term if, if Europeans want gas, because right. With winter, as we all know, things get cold. You know, <laughs> if you don't have that enough supply. The problem that the Europeans made, in my opinion, the European made, which is logical argument to say, is that they didn't replenish their the reserves. The reserves. Yeah. Because, you know, during since the start of the pandemic two years ago, things slowed down. Dramatically. Yeah. So it was no reason for them to go ahead and say, why, why do that? And that is what somebody didn't think through. You know, now things are rebounding, or the economy that is, in certain parts, they found themselves, oh my gosh, we didn't have enough reserves. So, and this is not just limited to Europe, because Europe is gonna be dealing with this issue. You think of Ukraine, for example, is gonna be dealing, <clears throat> UK is gonna be dealing with this. Oh, tragically, as actually. Yeah, as a matter of fact, in UK is even worse. So, uh, based on some. But this is not just in Europe, because East Asia will also have the same problem. 
And I did find some stats that we'd like to share with you uh, to highlight this one here. In East Asia, Ross, the natural gas, natural gas is up by about 85%. So even, even in relatively yeah. tough economies, mm -hmm. Uh, the, the price is going to skyrocket. Yeah. And all this, this increase is only started in September. It's not that far. Which means the equivalency of having now uh, a barrel of natural gas at about $204 in, in oil terms. Right, right. That's a lot of money. That's a lot countries. of money. Yeah, because, and this is where you see the challenge as far as the uh, uh, supply and demand. The market is kind of like, okay, but also, there are those who argue, is this nothing but a psychological? The fear that winter is coming, cold weather, not enough gas, oil prices going up. Is this just the fear of individuals reacting to this? Because the market reacts to this kind of stuff, right. as you know. But this is also where the speculators comes in. So. And they're going to capitalize on the fear. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. We, 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 we're going to notice that one, too. So... Uh, interesting enough is that the prices in the United States remain lower in a natural gas, not the oil. I found that very, very interesting. Yeah. So because how the United States does, uh, but, but still, we still have issues here in ensuring that whether the administration here is going to tap into the oil reserves, it was no indication coming out of the White House that they're going to do that. Right. So we don't know. We don't know if they're going to go that route or not. So, The other country is India, believe it or not. You know. in, in the case of India, India depends heavily on coal. And why is that important to highlight? Because the next week is the summit for, well, actually, there is the summit for climate change in Glasgow. It's, well, it's next, is it next week? Yeah, next week. Yeah. So, uh, and... Uh, uh, well, by the time this video is released, it will yeah, be during the week. Okay. So, yeah. But the idea of that India is arguing that they're going to cut emission uh, to by 2060. Uh, Wish them well. Yeah. yeah it's going to happen. Yeah. Not, to pin, not to pick on India, but most countries don't live up. The United States doesn't live up to the, its commitments. As a matter of fact, the coal production here in the U.S. is up. Is, is, up, yeah. is increasing. So, so you can just see, uh, despite what you hear, on the global forums like the climate change, like the UN and all that. It's nothing but words, but no deeds. This is where the challenge is. What do we, what do we see about the, uh, what OPEC is up to? Well, that's a good point. That's a good point, Russ, because with all this, you're going to have to, one, we'll have to start to think in terms of, okay, where does OPEC fit in all this? Well. OPEC is the one that holding the key because OPEC is in the driver's seat yeah. as we speak. And, there, uh, you know, it'll be interesting. And I will be watching uh, uh, next week. By the time this video is released, I will have an idea because they have a meeting on November 4th. So, and that's usually when they decide, should we increase production for the next quarter and 2022, maintain the same production so far? The United States requested from OPEC, OPEC stands for the Oil Producing Exporting Countries, which is about, you know, I think 13, 15 countries, something like that. It's headed by Saudi Arabia because of the massive oil production. Um, the United States requested from OPEC to increase production, and so far, they were, the, the U.S. requested three times. 
and you know, I don't know what to make of it, but I understand that Saudi Arabia did not even respond to the request. They did not. They didn't even say no or maybe we'll talk yeah, about it. Yeah, it was no. They didn't respond. Exactly, it was no respond, which means to the OPEC members, it's to their benefit that the production stays where it is because prices are high. And profits are higher. Yeah. yeah. And the reason being because those countries think of it in terms of their GDP. Right. Because it's oil revenues that can help them out with certain programs and so forth. So so it's a very delicate balance right now, given that winter is coming on us soon. And uh, as we all know, in during winter, consumption of energy goes up. There are those who are saying here in the United States, uh, how come the uh, White House didn't tap into oil reserves? And we do have uh, enough reserves that can sustain us for a while. Uh, so why aren't we tapping into that? I don't, I, I don't have the answer. I don't know. Because one thing that you need to know is that lobbyists for the energy companies here in the U.S. are very powerful. That I know for a fact. Could it be that those lobbyists, are rep as they represent their clientele, are saying, let's make more money? That's, that's one possibility. The other one also, we have to consider that Saudi Arabia, the major oil oh. producer, has lobbyists here in the U.S. that can lobby Congress to, to depend or to maintain our dependency on the Saudi oil. There are those who argue, Ross, that why not the U.S. build its own refineries? <laughs> and I am one of those who argue for that. <clears throat> Allocate some money from the defense, build their refineries, and the question that is now become is, hypothetically, if we are to go that route, who's going to take the benefits? Or who's going to benefit from that? Well, it's the people, us. Right. And how are we going to benefit from that? We can benefit from it in terms of the government building better infrastructure. The government can improve education system here. The government can, can use that revenues from those to improve the lives and benefit the American people. Exactly. Well, what we know is we've got enough but enough petroleum mm -hmm. to be self-sufficient. We do. As a matter of fact, uh, we do produce a lot of oil here. It just, you know, it's always been the question uh, the oil in the United States is not a sweet oil as we call sweet. It's not, and it's not, not like Venezuela and not like it is, is Saudi oil that sweet? Yeah, uh, it is. Okay. It is. So, it's more Saudi, pure. Saudi Arabia, Libya, Algeria, uh, uh, Venezuela, uh, Iran to a degree, Iraq to a degree, you know, those, they have like a, a good quality oil. That's why uh, in the United States, refining oil, it is, a, it is a major undertaking. The argument of the government is that it will cost more versus buy well, it from overseas. You know, there was the thing we, you and I have discussed before mm -hmm. about Saudi Arabia requested that, that we, the U.S. Re re requested that Saudi Arabia refurbish or rebuild one of the refineries in Houston. That's correct, and they turned it down. They turned it down and put it someplace, they put it in China. Actually, a $10 billion. And I have the, sort of, when I did the research for my last book, I had to find out about this particular aspect. And it was a deal between China and Saudi Arabia to build brand new refinery in China, not in the Saudi Arabia, in China. So an $800 billion defense package, as opposed to one or two $10 billion investments in oil independence. Exactly, and that was my argument to us. You know, you don't have to use the whole $800 billion. All you do, <laughs> take a hundred out of the, you know, cut down on the defense spending. Why do we need all these aircraft, uh, aircraft carriers and, and all this? Enough is enough. I mean, till when? 
Till when? So, rather than helping American families. You know, you and I have been in shock before over a billion dollar tank versus AI major investment. Yeah. Where, I mean, where is that? Exactly, and those are one of the common sense uh, arguments as to one can think or ask as, why is the government not embarking on this? There must be some reason. And the reason in this case of the energy is that the lobbyists will not allow it, will not let it. You know, that's where it gives you an idea about, is our Congress bought? The answer is yes. Yes, yes we can feel comfortable saying that because, uh, because at least, and I speak for myself here, because this is a real life example. This right. is a simple example. We have the land, we have the space, we have the resources, it's just a matter of how we manage. That's like in a family. Right. You know, if you don't manage your finances right, you're going to end up in problems, right? <laughs> the same thing. So why are we spending $800 billion on defense when we can take some of that money out, build refineries, start processing our own oil, and we don't have to depend on foreign oil? And just recently, there was a $50 billion increase in defense. Exactly. And, and of course, this has to do with the hypersonic test that China just conducted. And you're going to see more than that. You're going to see more. We're going to see more than that. So, so this is basically where we see, uh, uh, the, uh, just to have an, an, an understanding uh, for you, because you need to have, uh, the government is not going to come forward and explain that in a simple term that you and I can understand. The government is going to be talking about these theories of, you know, whatever that is. When it's simple, you know, beside the supply and demand, there is also the idea of speculators. Right. Because <laughs> that's how it is in the uh, energy sector. But also just to understand how uh, uh, critical oil is, it is a tool certain governments can use. I mean, they can punish other governments. Maybe that's one of the takeaways. Uh, that we that our viewers could take from this well exactly is to understand at least that the tool of oil it can be used even in geopolitics yes that's the importance of it because uh, if we are to use history as our guide we go back to 1973 the oil embargo when there used to be long lines at the gas station here in the united states i used to be in those lines so you, you you will be better suited to sort of because you witnessed that and that is where that that challenge is but also the understanding how uh, the link between oil and geopolitics. There's one other takeaway. Yeah. And that is, how does this impact you? Does this mean there's going to be inflation? Does this mean there's going to be higher costs? Does this mean that the major portion of the people who live paycheck to paycheck are going to have less money to spend? And the answer is? Yes. Yes. It will be. It will be. Remember to subscribe to Geopolitics in Conflict channel. We, we, you'll be able to see our most, in, most recent interviews, our compelling analysis that you will not get anyplace else, so subscribe now. Indeed, Russ. And as always, stay informed. Till next time. Bye-bye.